Now, about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you was to set, aside, set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be travelling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, so that you may see me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you just now in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you, because he is doing the Lord's work, just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Send him on his way in peace, so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has opportunity. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Ikea and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you to also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I am pleased to have Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus, Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognise such people. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their name, in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha, that is, Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome. Uh, my name's Andy Boots. I'm one of the student ministers here. If you want to keep that part of the Bible open, we'll be kind of working through that. But how about I pray just before we get into it? Our Father God, thank you that you have preserved this word that we have now, that we can read and hear from you. And we just pray now that as uh, we work through the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, that your spirit might impress this upon our hearts, that you might impress it upon our minds, and that we would leave worshipping and praising and following you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as it's about five years ago now uh, when the CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, died. can't believe it's already five years, but it's been five years. So he died 56 years of age. Uh, he, when he died, he accumulated, he had about a net worth of about $8 billion. Um, he was an extraordinary clever man, wasn't he? Uh, he's the he's kind of the, the pioneer of every person having their own computer, uh, iPhones, the whole music, you know, everything I. That's, this is the guy, Steve Jobs. Now, because he had 
um, pancreatic cancer in his later years in his life, he knew he was going to die, and he kind of lived with that reality. Uh, and people were able to ask him, you know, what he thought about this. Uh, what, what's your reflection on, on living with this in mind? Um, listen to this. This is one interview in what he said. Remembering I'll be dead soon, I have found the perfect tool to help me make the big choices in life. Almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment, all failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the traps of thinking you have something to lose. No one has ever escaped death, and that's how it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old and makes way for the new. It's quite perceptive, his thoughts there, isn't it? And his reflections on thinking about life in the face of death. On thinking about how much the impact of death and having awareness of the shortness of life influences life here and now. Now, if you've been kind of with us, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. uh, And last week, we reflected on the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and its implications for those who will trust in him. See, here's the kind of truth that came out of that. Here's the guarantee. For you and I, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you will rise with him. You will be glorified with him with a resurrected body. Uh, No more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering. And and that's kind of where 1 Corinthians 15 ends, right? And then we get to 1 Corinthians 16, and you kind of think, what the heck's going on here? Is this Paul just kind of shooting from the hip in every every direction? Like, hey, when I come, we'll catch up for a coffee, say hi to my good friends, and, you know, I might just take the scenic route around the lake. I just prefer to not go across, just go around the lake through Macedonia. I mean, and, and you kind of think, what, what's, he, what's happened? But as I've dug into it this week, he's not just kind of shooting random thoughts. Now, Paul here, he's giving us kind of concrete examples of what it looks like now as we wait for Christ's return. So it's like Paul's just kind of switched, you know, the switch. And he's kind of talking about the abstract and glorious resurrection and he's kind of just switched it, and he's just, boom, on the ground. We've landed. This is reality, real people, real places, real situations. But people whose lives were greatly impacted by the resurrection of Jesus. See, like that for Steve Jobs, in the face of death, it impacted his life. See, here, 1 Corinthians 16, we have the kind of what's really important for Christian living. There's two things, two things I want you to remember. Firstly, being living, being alert, and secondly, a life in which you stand firm in the faith. So come and read with me, verse 13 and 14. Have a look at it there. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with love. See, the first two commands here, they're kind of the primary commands, I take it, to be alert and to stand firm. And the following ones, 
they kind of qualify what it looks like. Uh, that, that is, it's been acting like a man, being courageous, being brave. Uh, that is, it's with strength and everything is to be done in love. Now, I reckon these, these two verses are the backbone of the chapter. And the rest of the chapter really is just an illustration of what life looks like on the ground with this. Okay? So the plan, I want to kind of look at those two, two phrases, being alert and stand firm, and then I want to have a look at three on-the-ground implications of where this comes out. With me? Good. Okay, firstly, what does he mean by be alert? Be alert. Nice. But I think in the context, it means kind of watching, giving strict attention to. But what are we watching? What are we kind of giving strict attention to? Well, I think in the context, it's the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. See, chapter 15, we have his resurrection and ascension, his first coming. And at the end of this chapter, verse 22, we have Paul calling on Jesus to return. Did you get that weird word, Maranatha, which means Lord come? See, Paul ends in a similar way to the book of Revelation, doesn't he? Where, where the, the whole book of the Bible ends. Come, Lord Jesus, come. See, Paul is calling on Christ to return to bring on our resurrected bodies, our glorified bodies. And he wants people to be alert, to be ready for Jesus' return. See, all of us now, like the Corinthians, they live between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And he wants them to do life with his second, the second coming at the forefront of their thoughts, not getting distracted or lured away by other things. Every action, every thought, every decision is to be done with the reality of Jesus' second coming, with the reality in light of eternity. Now, this, this kind of thinking or this reality, it's the opposite to our culture that we live in, isn't it? I mean, everyone is living as though this life is it. Every decision is bound on how it will either help or hinder them in this life. But this life isn't it. See, the resurrection, it cuts through that kind of thinking. It slams it. Jesus, he's been, he's died and come back and says there's life after death. Now, for Steve Jobs, um, the reality of his cancer and the kind of shortness of life it brought great perspective for him, didn't it? But it was only perspective for this life. It was a, it was a little bit short-sighted. Uh, he was only considering his decisions here and now. And can I say, before God, uh, in eternity, it doesn't matter how smart, how much money you die with, or where you've lived, or whether you know whether you not you have a holiday house, or how successful you are in your career, or even how nice you are. The only decision which will impact your eternal destiny is whether or not you trust in the Lord Jesus. That's it. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus alone? That's the only important decision anyone has ever got to make. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, you can be guaranteed of life with God, resurrected in glory with Him. Therefore, be alert. Be ready. Do life with the return of Jesus at the forefront of your everyday, everything you do. 
So the second thing that's really important uh, is the other phrase, which is stand firm in the faith. Uh, So Paul commends them to persevere in, to persist in the faith, to persist in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Why? Well, it's the one thing that you and I can be certain of, isn't it? It's the one assurance of eternal life with Christ beyond the grave. He's already laid out the evidence for that in chapter 15. And as you read it, it's very convincing. I mean, we can be confident that Jesus truly did die, that he truly was buried, and he truly rose again, and he appeared to, pe- to people, eyewitnesses in our history. See, our hope that we have is, as Christians isn't kind of wishful thinking. It isn't based on a fairy tale. No, it's grounded, it's solid, and it's been etched into history so that you and I, we can have confidence and stand firm in the faith. They're the two things which then shape the rest of the chapter, being alert and standing firm in the faith. Now, I want to have a look at the, the implications in three kind of big areas. Uh, I've, got, I've got three. There's a lot more that comes out there, but I'm going to look at three. It affects your resources. It affects your plans and your dreams in verses 5 to 12. And it affects your relationships in um, 15 to 18. So firstly, verses 1 to 4, uh, being alert and standing firm in the faith will affect what you do with your resources. See, throughout 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul has been kind of answering questions the Corinthians had. So back in chapter 7, you know, it's now about relationships. Chapter 8, it's about food offered to idols. Chapter 12, it's about uh, matters of the spirit. And now, chapter 16, it's about matters of the collection for the saints. Uh, We read in verse 3 that the collection is for the saints in Jerusalem. And now... If you're kind of not aware, the Jerusalem church at this time, they were really poor. There was a severe famine in the land, and they were really struggling as a church. And this collection that Paul kind of had been going around the Gentile churches to collecting for, it was for a real welfare need. It's 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 an expression of unity and love for others who are in need. Now, interestingly, this is not kind of a a gospel a growth collection or a kind of a church planting drive, but one which just seeks to share resources and money with other Christians in a different place who are struggling. Now, it's, the collection's mentioned a fair bit in the New Testament, uh, which you might find surprising. I did. It's in Acts, in Romans 15, Galatians 2, gaining 2 Corinthians. And it seems at this point, it seems like the Corinthian church, they kind of weren't all that keen to get on board with it. Um, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, as Paul writes to them again, and he's trying to convince them, you know, to, to, to get on board, to, to offer what you've been given from God and offer it to others. Um, I reckon they're probably asking the question, you know, well, what's in it for me? It's kind of a pretty typical question the Corinthians seems to uh, be thinking, you know, quite self-focused. Uh, selfish view of church and church life. And you know what Paul's answer is? Nothing. They'd get nothing in return. See, this is just an expression of love. Love is to shape everything. Just how, like Paul has shown them, 
that love should govern the way you use your Christian freedom, that love shapes the way that you uh, use your spiritual gifts to serve others, so too love is to shape the way you use your money. Now, he's very practical in the way he uses money here, isn't he? Verse 2, it's regular. Deliberate setting aside for those in need. Um, it's proportion, proportional to your income and ability. See, here's a financial kind of plan, thought about, being driven and alert by the reality of eternity. See, why else? Why else would you be willingly, why else would you be willing to give away money um, to people you probably have never met, you'll never meet, you never know what's going to happen for them, if it isn't for the fact that you are aware of Jesus' second coming? So you can't ask you a, a kind of, you know, no one likes to talk about it, but a question. Are you, with your money, driven by Jesus' second coming? How are you going at this? Do you kind of need to take some time to deliberately, thoughtfully remind yourself of eternity and think about how you can be generous with what God has given you? Now, uh, I was trying to think of sort of some ways to land it. And I, was, I was talking to a person uh, from a couple of churches ago of mine who kind of inherited about a million dollars or thereabouts. Uh, and he went to his church and said, I've inherited this money. Can you use it? What, what can it be used for? Um, it, you know, I think he's planning on possibly using it in the future, but he said, I don't need it now. I can, you can just have it. And whatever way you can use it, you can use it. See, here's a guy, right, that gets it. He's inherited a, a huge amount of money, and he's, he knows about eternity, and he's just hand, he said, I want to do the things that matter in life. Uh, when I came here to Kirribilli, I was at the belonging course, and they were tel- talking about how much money as, corporately as we church we give to outside of Kirribilli, outside of our ministries. And I was, I was stoked. It was 10%-ish. You know, I think that's fantastic. I think it's good for us to kind of see the needs of others and how we're being blessed and try and bless others and love them. See, Paul, he wants the saints in, in Corinthians to be aware of the need in Jerusalem and to love as they have been loved, and to use their resources in light of eternity. Now, it's not, not just money which is going to be affected by Jesus' second coming, but it's also your plans and dreams. Uh, in verses 5 to 7, we kind of get Paul filling them in on his travel plans. Um, a map should come up on the screen. About uh, Here we go. So currently, Paul, when he's writing the letter, he's in Ephesus, so on that, on that side, uh, and he wants, you know, he's planning on coming across the water to Corinth, but he said he's going to first go through Macedonia, so up, up around the kind of the water, uh, which, and the top part of that is, is Macedonia. I see here's Paul kind of telling them of his plans about his hope to reach that area with the gospel of Jesus. See, why is he telling them? Well, he's convinced of the gospel. He's convinced that these people need to hear Jesus and he wants them to get it. Verse, verse 9, the reason he's staying in Ephesus is because a wide door for effective ministry has been opened. Verse 10, he's committed, Timothy is committed to doing the Lord's work. See here, Paul's kind of giving them an on-the-ground plan, a strategy to, of, you know, 
a way that he wants to reach modern-day Turkey and Greece. See, Paul and Timothy and Apollos, they were driven by the return of Jesus. Now, my, um, my sister-in-law just got married at the start of this year. Uh, she married an Indian bloke, and this week she's going to move down to Melbourne and to, in order to get prepared to move to India, uh, to Delhi. And we had, we had dinner the other night, and she was telling me how... She was, telling, she's a, she was a physio, and she was telling her physio friends, um, you know, yeah, I'm heading over to Delhi. And there was a couple of people from India there, and they said to her, why would you do that? You're, you know, she's white, blue-eyed, kind of. And, this, and she's saying, they said, why would you do that? Um, it's a good question. She uh, was telling us, and we were kind of sharing, and uh, you know, a few tears were being spread about how, with them moving, we're not going to see them or be able to do life or Christmases or birthdays. They're not going to be able to share and watch our kids grow up. We're not going to be able to share and watch her kids grow up. But here's the thing. I reckon she gets it. She knows that this life isn't it. And she's living for the next. See, the Lord is returning. And there are many in Delhi who need to hear about the Lord Jesus. See, for Paul and Timothy, as they went out the gospel with the gospel, they faced opposition and trials. Uh, verse 9, he's in Ephesus even though many opposed him. Verse 6, he's still trying to figure out what he's going to do with winter, where he's going to sleep, where he's going to stay. Uh, verse 10, Paul's concerned with uh, and wants to make sure that Timothy has nothing to fear from them. See, opposition, it usually accompanies the cause of the gospel going out, doesn't it? And to, to be kind of focused and standing firm in the faith requires great strength and courage. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul kind of reflects back on his plan, on his missionary journeys around. Um, and there's this huge list that he lists. I don't know if you're aware of it, but if you have a read of it, of opposition and hardship. Uh, he was beaten to the point of death. He'd been stoned, he'd been shipwrecked, he had dangers on every front. But... Paul was so captured by the return of Christ that he had the strength and courage to endure all of this so that the gospel could go out. And he saw it as a privilege to be a part of it. Now, I'm not advocating that everyone here needs to be a missionary and choose a life like Paul did of immense suffering and trials. I mean, some of you may and should, but not everyone. But here's a mindset of thinking, isn't it? Here's an approach to life that shapes your plans, your dreams, and your decisions. So it's one that kind of sees the bigger reality of life and through the lens of the gospel, the perspective of Jesus' return. See, so what, what are your, uh, the first questions or considerations that come to mind when you're thinking through a big decision? I mean, okay, say you want to move uh, cities in your life or change jobs. What are they? I'll tell you what comes to mind for me. How's this going to impact my family? What will it mean for my surfing in no particular order? And, and what will our lifestyle be like? See, these are all about comforts for me and my family, aren't they? 
I mean, these can be okay questions and good questions to ask. But surely given the return of Jesus, there's a prior question that we need to answer, isn't it? A prior thing we need to think through. How will this decision either affect or hinder the gospel going out? What's, this, what's the effect of this decision going to be on the gospel going forth? See, to be alert and grounded in the faith is to live life with the strength and courage to choose to have the priority of the gospel at the forefront of our hopes, our dreams and decisions. The third implication I want us to look at is how the return of Jesus influences your relationships with others from verses 15 to 18. I'll read verse 15. Read that with me. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to the serving or to serving the saints. See, Stephanus, he's an example of someone from Corinth, uh, from amongst them, who has been standing firm in the faith from the beginning. He was the first fruit. It's kind of a weird uh, term. It reminds you of Jesus being the first resurrected one and many to follow. Likewise, he was the first one to become a Christian in the area, in the region. And the Corinthian church, kind of the whole Corinthian church, had become a Christian after him and followed. Uh, Stephanus was probably like a first-generation believer. And it's quite likely that there's people who had become Christians since Paul had been there who didn't know Paul. But Paul kind of expects them to know this man Stephanus and his household. And he wants, check out what he wants the Corinthians to do with this man. Verse 16, he wants them to submit to such people. Verse 18, he wants them to recognize such people. Why? Because he is, a man, is an example of someone who has stood firm in the faith and lived life with the idea of Jesus' second coming. So he, verse 15, he devoted himself to serving the saints. Verse 18, he was someone who refreshed Paul's spirits and the Corinthian spirits. See, maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe you're Stephanus to one of us now. Or maybe you can just think of that person who's Stephanus to you. That person who's devoted to serving the saints. And whenever you have that chat, it just refreshes your spirit. Your kind of eyes get lifted and you're thankful to God for him. So can I ask you, what's your attitude towards these people in our church? Do you uphold them? Do you recognize and submit to such people? Now, I get it. <laughs> like, it's kind of weird saying that, isn't it? I mean, um, whenever I read these commands... They're hard, and they never quite sit right with me. Because I think this is just going against our Aussie culture. It's right in the face of it. See, Australians, we're not good at doing this at all. Uh, you know, we think everyone's the same, and we're real anti any type of authority, um, which, as I read, was really good for fighting a war because the Australian soldiers would often uh, regularly disobey the British orders, which made us good soldiers. But can I say this culture isn't Christian. See, Paul wants us to go against our culture here. And he wants us to recognize and submit to those who serve us. 
what's this going to look like? It could look like many things. Uh, you know, week in, week out, you have your hive group leaders who devote themselves to preparing and opening up their house. Do you uphold and recognize them? Do you turn up? Do you let them know when you're not going to make it? Or perhaps you have that, that wise person in your life who speaks truth into your life. Do you just kind of brush it off and go, whatever? Or do you listen and take it to heart? See, why are we to recognize and submit to these people? Because these are men and women who have lived life in light of Jesus' return and stood on the solid foundation of Jesus and they want to help you stand firm in the Lord Jesus. They want, they're the ones that are going to help us keep our eye on him so that when he returns, all of us will be ready, standing firm in the faith. Now, Paul, he's, he's certainly not just shooting from the hip in every direction. He's ended this letter with where he started it, with the gospel front and center. Jesus' death, forgiveness of sins and resurrection life for all those who would follow and trust in him. Jesus is risen and he is coming back. So be alert and stand firm in the faith. How about I pray? Father God, we just thank you for the truth of hope beyond the grave. And we ask that your spirit will give us alertness, would give us strength, courage and love to stand firm in the Lord Jesus. We pray that your return would be at the forefront of everything we do so that when you return or when we pass away, we might see you and be welcomed into your glorious kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.